we are going to finish something today that we started called the book of Haggai. And uh, we'll turn to chapter 2, the last few verses, and take a look at that. Um, I know some of you find me strange for wearing this jersey. It's okay. It's okay. It's all right. That happens sometimes. I want to tell you something, though. Those who prepare uh, sermons and preach on a regular basis are, in fact, a very peculiar group. Did you know that? (laughs) It's okay. This is the time to laugh at me and other guys like me. It's okay. As we begin, we, we often communicate and we have these pithy one-liners and we think they're really good. All right. So I'm going to give you a few as we start and uh, you, you can groan or you can say wow or laugh. These are from actual sermons. Going to church doesn't make you a Christian any more than standing in a garage makes you a car. Have you ever heard that one? I would say to that, well, duh, Right? Here's one that I've said. If God is your co-pilot, switch seats. <laughs> Think about it. Think about it. You may have to tear that bumper sticker off your car. I don't know. Here's another good one. Only a few of you will get the, the really deep, intelligent people will get this one. Atheism is a nonprofit organization. <laughs> don't groan. Wow, that was a Baylor, a Baylor person over there groaning at me. Now, this one is, uh, this is a, a, a true one, and this is not a, a funny one, but boy, it is real. It's easier to preach 10 sermons than it is to live one. Think about that for a minute. Isn't that our goal, that we would live such a life that we could go out and influence and impact our world with the gospel of Jesus Christ, with the love of Christ? Well... Us preachers are weird. We also get carried away with some sermon titles, so here we go. These are actual funny sermon titles that I have not used, okay? I have not used these, but I want to see if you can, you call out if you know what what the sermon is about. Here's the first one. Lather, rinse, and repeat. Anybody? Naaman. Bimber? Go dip seven times? Okay, that one... That went great. You better get this one. This one I've actually seen. Deviled ham. What was that sermon about? Yes, the demons cast into the herd of pigs, right? Get it, devil ham? Some of you are looking at your spouse and going, what, what, what? Come on now, come on. I don't get it. This one is my favorite, but it is a little obscure. When lefty killed fatty. True sermon title. Do you remember the time of the judges, the second judge, Ehud, and he plunged into, I call the guy, it's Eglon, but I call him Jabba the Hutt, he plunges his knife into him and it's gone, it just goes in there, okay. And here's the last one, a nude dude in a rude mood, the gathering demoniac. Remember, he ran around naked in the, okay, you'll get that. Well, why am I sharing all this? Just to get laughs? No. Because as we've learned, the book of Haggai has got four sermons, four messages from the Lord that Haggai is sharing. And today, excuse me, we look at the final sermon, the shortest sermon of the four recorded in the book. And this sermon is going to do something for us. It gives insight into the Lord's intention, not mine or yours, but the Lord's intention For the future, he will provide divine intervention. 
And we can see this. It's repeated use over and over of the first person in the speech that's attributed to the Lord. We'll see. It's I, I, I. It's the Lord speaking. And this final sermon looks beyond the stark conditions that characterize this restoration community. Remember? They were having troubles. They were supposed to be doing stuff. And they're having to be prodded to do it. They'd come out of exile, and now they had a giant task before them, the rebuilding of the temple. And it, it, it shows us to look beyond whatever the condition is to the future and what God will do. What is required on our part for the future is one thing. Are you ready? What is required on our part for the future is one thing. It's called trust. Or belief. It's the same thing in the Bible. But not just trust and belief, but trust and belief in God to work in the future. Do you believe that God will work in the future just as he is in the present and has in the past? Amen. Yes. Absolutely. And today the big idea, if you want to get anything, is this. We must believe God. There's so many things we can believe in, but we must believe God and make trust in him a priority. Trust in him a priority. That's what we must do. Let's look at verses 20 through 23. Haggai chapter 2. The word of the Lord came to Haggai a second time on the 24th day of the month. Speak to Zerubbabel, the governor of Judah. And here comes the I statement. You ready? I am going to shake the heavens and the earth. I will overturn royal thrones and destroy the power of the Gentile kingdoms. I will overturn chariots and their riders. Horses and their riders will fall, each by his brother's sword. And on that day, the declaration of the Lord of hosts, on that day I will take you, Zerubbabel, son of Sheltiel, my servant, the Lord's declaration, and make you like my signet ring for I have chosen you and I would underline that word chosen for I have chosen you and look at the last line this is the declaration of the Lord of hosts would you pray with me thank you God for a chance to gather today fun day special day most importantly a day where we worship you and we honor you and we study in our classes about you and we do life and community together in our groups looking to you so speak to us today and remind us that every word in your word is your revelation to us every bit of it so thank you for it in the name of Jesus we pray amen well, let's look at verse 20. First point is a very short point. It's this. There's a second message. There's a second message. And this message that we see right here is paired to the first message of the day, which we did last week, verses 10 through 19, chapter 2. And now we have the second message on that same day. By the way, we know the date. Do you want it? December 18th in the year 520 B.C. Some of you were in high school then, right? Anybody? No? Yeah. It's crazy how this is all compressed. I slipped into a Sunday school class uh, this morning. In, we have some in the earlier hour. 
and they were at 536 BC dealing with Daniel as an old man. It's amazing how this works together. Cyrus was mentioned. Of course, now we know Darius is the king here, but it's December 18th, 520 BC. But that's not what I want you to get about this second message. Aren't you glad you don't get two sermons from me today? Anybody? Any honest person in here? Listen, I don't want to hear myself twice, okay? Who wants to have to do that? I remember years ago as a worship leader, we were doing three morning services. Oh, my goodness. I had to listen to the sermon three times. Finally, I talked to Joe, and I said, can I slip out? He said, by all means. I wouldn't expect anyone to have to listen to my sermons three times. So, you know, it's, a, it's the second sermon here. But here's what I want to get you to get out of this. It is the word of the Lord. Do you see that? This second message on this day, it is the word of the Lord. And I want to tell you something. The word of the Lord matters. The words of Omar don't matter that much. The words of you fill in the blank don't matter that much unless it's your spouse and you forgot to do something you were supposed to do. And then it matters. But this is the word of the Lord. It is spoken by Haggai, God's messenger, the prophet Haggai, but it is the word. I I love that. We can't miss that. It says the word of the Lord, the covenantal name for God, Yahweh, the word of the Lord came to Haggai. Let us not miss the divine origin of all of this. And let us pay attention. Uh, Bathe throughout every every book and, and, and the pages of the Bible. It talks about the Lord. Amen? And the word of the Lord, and the word of the Lord, and the commands of the Lord, and how he challenges us, and how he will never leave us or forsake us. All these things we find in God's word. It is of divine origin. And I want to tell you something else. The the word of the Lord, or the Lord's message, is always in contrast to messages that are from people's own imaginations and thoughts. Have you noticed that? I can come up with, imagine and come up with all kinds of things. But the Lord's message contrasts man's messages and thoughts or leaders or politicians' aspirations. It's different. And we know here when we see, that, see this, this is divine intentions. So here's what I would say our prayer should be. And you might think about this this week. Lord, teach me to trust in you. Think about that for a minute. Trust in a lot of things sometimes, don't we? Lord, teach me to trust in you. Teach me to listen to your words and teach me to follow your message. If we prayed that and meant that and God enabled us to do that, you see how powerful that would be? Well, that's it. Verse 20. It's a second message in one day. And then we discover in verse 21 that not only is it a message, a second message, but it's a very narrow message. This sermon is different than the others. I'm preaching to all of you today. We're preaching to hundreds online, wherever you are. I don't know what camera you're on, but whatever one it is, we're preaching and doing this. But this message, verse 21, do you catch it? It's directed to one person, Zerubbabel. It's not directed like the others to Joshua the high priest. It's not directed to the people, the remnant. This is directed, verse 21. Speak to Zerubbabel, governor of Judah. Now let's just talk about him for a minute. 
He was a weakened leader, let's face it. He's controlled by the Persians. Uh, he has no army to carry out his decrees. He could not even resolve the conflicts with neighboring people. He would not instill a lot of confidence in me, personally. I don't know about you. And yet, God would accomplish his will through Zerubbabel. Speak this message to Zerubbabel. Say what? No, to Zerubbabel. And what's interesting as we get into the second part of this verse and we look at the, the construction, if you will, of the participle. I know some of you are going, oh man, I hated English, okay? But the construction of the participle here in, in the language shows that what is happening is something imminent. This is not pie in the sky. It's speak to this guy, give this sermon, this message, because the Lord says, I am going. It is imminent that I will shake the heavens and the earth. God had chosen Zerubbabel. And God's message came to him at the right time. I believe when he most needed encouragement, God's message comes to him. Let me ask you today, do you need encouragement, any of you? Do you need encouragement? Are you trusting God for it? Are you believing in God for it? Or are you counting on some relationship that you have? Well, you'll just get encouragement of that. Let me, let me help you with something in your marriage. Trust and believe God for encouragement. Now, I hope you get some encouragement. But we base our whole life sometimes around what someone thinks about us or about this job that we have or about how many kids or grandkids that we have, right? Or what relationship we have. Trust God for the encouragement. Trust God for your self-esteem if you are a Christian. Believe in God for the encouragement. And then let me follow that up as we think about this directed imminent message to Zerubbabel that God is going to shake the heavens and the earth, are you waiting for God's divine interruptions? Has that ever happened in your life? A divine interruption? Sometimes it comes in a hard way, doesn't it? We get too impatient. Let me, Lord, trust you for your divine interruption. Lord, let me believe that you will encourage me as you interrupt my pathetic little life. I am a sinner needing a Lord, a boss in my life to control. So think about that. It's a, it's a second message, poor guy, <laughs> and it's very narrow. And then we get into the heart of it. It's part one of the sermon is verse 22. Look at it. I will overturn royal thrones and destroy the power of the Gentile kingdoms. I will overturn chariots and their riders, horses and their riders will fall each by his brother's sword. Part one of the sermon. Wow. That's a doozy, isn't it? Just as in chapter two, if we go back and look at verse six, we find out that a God-induced shaking was to occur. You see, as Christians, I hope we believe, we should believe as Christians that God is sovereign, that God, listen to me, that God can overturn, overthrow, destroy whatever he wishes. Are you hearing me? 
Not what I wish. Let me be president for one week. I've said that before. Let me be governor for one week. Let me teach this class for one week. Let me, you know what I'm saying? No, it's God. It's God. He is sovereign, and he can choose to do what he wants, even if it means destruction. That had happened to them many years ago, had it not. They had been in, in exile. He can overthrow. He can overturn. You see, God is control. Let's look and see what God is in control of. Just look at that verse again. See if this reminds you of something from the Bible. Some of you already are thinking about these things, aren't you? Thrones and kingdoms. Just as God had done. They knew this. Just as God had done to Sodom and Gomorrah. Do you remember that? Sodom and Gomorrah? Deuteronomy 29. It's the same word. Overturn. That is used right here is the same word that's used back there in Deuteronomy 29. And God will continue to do that. He will continue to do that. To that Persian empire. And we know that came about. We can look at history. But also, hear me, to all kingdoms when Jesus returns. Are you aware of that? When Jesus returns, all kingdoms will be overthrown. I don't care whether you live in these United States of America, you live in, in some country on the continent of Africa or Asia or Europe, of South America. I'm, I'm, not, I'm running out of them. What's the other one? Australia? I don't know about the Arctic or Antarctica, all right? It matters not. When Jesus returns, he will overturn and overthrow all those kingdoms. And the kingdom of God in which we have been living as Christians, once we're saved, we begin living in that, will come to fulfillment. And what an amazing eternal life that will be with Jesus face to face. Amen? Yes. Thank you. So it's not just good poetic language or a pithy statement in a sermon. He had already done that, and he will continue to do that. Secondly, he talks about chariots and horses and riders. Did you catch that? That took me right back to Exodus chapter 14 and 15. How about you? Do you remember the miraculous miracle? The children of Israel, God's children, were in captivity 400 years. They were in slavery and the greatest miracle, that final plague comes, and the firstborn is killed, and Pharaoh says, go, and they go. And then they whine and gripe, like all good Baptist churches, right? They whine and gripe, and they, they're stuck there at the Red Sea, right? Do you remember what they said? It would have been better. Moses, it would have been better if you would have left us there in slavery. I mean, come, come on. What is going on? But we remember the miracle, and it is a miracle. If you'll study the scripture, it was not the reed seed that was a couple inches deep, like liberals will tell us. It was the Red Sea. How can a chariot and horses and riders and the greatest army on the face of the earth drown in this? It isn't. No, no, no. You better, you can get zapped right there. A, a miracle. That might be what they say. No, the miracle is that God took the wind and did what? Separated the sea, and they went through on dry ground. Do you know how wet the bottom of the ocean is? It's, it's pretty wet. I was body surfing one day, and I caught the wave wrong, and I found out it's hard, it's sandy, and it was wet. And I was, could, I was trying to find my way out of that, right? 
And that happened, and the amazing thing is they, they came after him. The greatest army of that day came after them, and God allowed the waters to come back over them. And you will read it. And how did they know? They knew they were drowned because Scripture tells us they were washing up on the seaside, dead, dead. What an analogy that's used here. This should get Zerubbabel's attention. And anyone else he would share it with because it's a great analogy of what God can do. And here it says, I will. It's not just that I have done that, but I will do that again. I'm going to have power. I'm going to overturn chariots, horses, and riders. And the third one is swords. Did you catch that? And that takes me back to Judges 7. If you'll remember what happened with remember Gideon, all his troubles he had, but he got it together and he had his men and they surrounded and they blew the shofar. I, they blew the trumpet, Russ, wherever you are. They blew the trumpet, right? And if you remember, the great Midianite army in that confusion, hearing that noise from only a few hundred guys, not tens of thousands, were confused and they pulled their swords, Scripture tells us, on each other and they, they annihilated each other, the great Midianite army. Again, what an illustration of what God can do, what he has done, and what he will do to those who oppose him. See, let me remind, we clapped and we talked about when Jesus returns and all this great stuff. Listen, for those who oppose Jesus, for those who don't have a personal relationship with Jesus, for those who have not surrendered and repented and ran to Jesus and asked for forgiveness and said, God, come in and be the Lord of my life. If that has not happened, you oppose God because you're a sinner like we all are. It's just that some of us are saved sinners. And I want to challenge you, that day will come, and God will continue to do what he's done. He will overturn, he will overthrow, he will destroy. You see, according to this verse, this part one of the sermon, God will work in the future. God is in control. God is God. God fights for his kingdom. Even if you and I don't think it's done in the exact way or timing, he fights for his kingdom and he fights for his people. And the question this morning is, do you believe? Not up here, but in your heart, your spirit. Do you believe? Do you trust him? Why wouldn't I trust the God who can do all this? And the God who chose me? Why did he choose me? A little rotten boy from a horribly dysfunctional family, all kinds of troubles, abuse, addictions, and he chose me. What about you? He is the God who chooses and he fights for his people. Do we trust him? And then we get to part two of the sermon, verse 23. This sermon is shorter than mine, have you noticed? Don't write me any notes about that. Okay. Look what it says. I love how it starts. On that day, the declaration of the Lord of hosts, I will take you, Zerubbabel, you, son of Sheltiel, my servant, the Lord's declaration, and I'll make you like my signet ring, for I have chosen you. This is the declaration of the Lord of hosts. So part two begins with, on that day. You see, God chose Zerubbabel not only for the reconstruction of the temple, but something else that happened during the exile. Do you remember? 
the line of David, the royal line that ends with Jesus, it appears that if it had been broken, if it went away, they'd been conquered. And so not only is there a reconstruction of the temple, but there's this anticipated future in the line of David, and God will continue to choose. And he's telling this to Zerubbabel. In fact, I want to tell you that God will continue to choose to the end of the end times. Hello? Think about it. Sometimes we major on the end times and forget to major on the fact that God has not returned because there are still some folks to be saved. Have you read that in your Bible? He's going to continue to choose to the end of the end times. It's fine to study that. It's fine to know that. But what I want to ask you, if you're an expert, have you shared Jesus with anyone this month? Because God is saving people today. God could save you today from your sin if you will turn to him. And he will do that to the end of the end time. So he, it's on, he says, on that day, that's coming, okay? It's interesting to note something about prophecy. I think this will help, help some of you. We try to figure out, is it this or this? Prophecy often in the Bible has an immediate fulfillment, but it also has a far-off fulfillment. Have you noticed that? Sometimes it happens right away, and boy, it comes to pass, boom. But also, then we have this, uh, more in time, we have this messianic, some of the prophecies f- not fulfilled completely until Jesus came, or in fact, until Jesus, what, comes back. And so, we, we don't have to categorize that, we just need to know that that happens. And I want you to catch something on how Zerubbabel is notated in this verse. Did you see the difference? In verse 21, he's listed as the governor, not here. He's listed differently here. He's listed as, listed as son of Sheltiel. That's important. He's not listed by his leadership role, but by genealogy. Well, why is that a big deal? Matthew chapter 1, the genealogy of Jesus. Jeconiah fathered Sheltiel, Sheltiel fathered, are you ready? Zerubbabel. Same guy. So not only is it talking about that day, what God will continue to do, but it is talking about, hey, this line is going to be restored. He didn't know this, but we know from Matthew 1, you're going to be in it. And then, number three, look in the second part of the sermon, he calls him something interesting. My servant. Did you catch that? My servant identifies Zerubbabel not as this insignificant governor, but as a key, obedient person who followed God's directions. Listen. God cannot call you or me or Zerubbabel my servant unless we are an obedient person who's going to follow his directions. What does a servant do? Follows the directions, the commands, the teachings of the master. Who is our master, Christians? The King of kings and the Lord of lords. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Wow. To be called my servant. And that is what the word of the Lord calls Zerubbabel. You see, there would be a restoration of the Davidic line of promise. We've mentioned that. It leads to Jesus. 
what was lost by the exile would be regained. But let us not miss my servant being obedient to what the Lord's going to do. And then the last one is the most interesting, I think, perhaps obscure. He calls him my signet ring. Once you think about it for a minute, the quote is, I will make you like my signet ring. That indicates something. The signet ring, in this case, spiritually, indicates divine approval. Divine approval. Again, God chooses. Listen, God can do what he wants to do with your life and my life. Are you aware of that? We've got some people been called out recently for missions. God can do whatever he wants in your life. God can take this away from your life. God can add this to your life. God can ask you to do something that you're like, there's no way I can do that. Right? Of course. Without God's help, he can do these things. And he calls him my signet ring. Well, that reminds me of something. Just stay with me. We don't have time to read it. But you write down Jeremiah 22. Because signet ring is mentioned there. In fact, in Jeremiah 22, we will find that God had removed that authority, that signet ring, if you will, from the evil king Jehoiachin. Jeremiah 22. By the way, Jehoiachin, there's too many vowels, I hate those names, can't pronounce them, was also called Coniah. You'll find that in some translations. Or Jeconiah. Wait, wait, who? Who? Jeconiah. Zerubbabel's grandfather. Right in the lineage of Jesus. God had removed the signet ring, the divine approval from that evil king. What a reversal here we see now. He's like, Zerubbabel, here it is back. So let's think about that evil king for a minute. I want you to think about sin. Have you heard this statement? It's been said that sin takes you farther than you want to go. Some of you are nodding your heads. It keeps you longer than you want to stay. And boy, ain't this the truth. It costs you more than you want to pay. Now that's, someone, that's a quote from someone. But boy, doesn't that line up with Scripture as we think about sin and what it does, Book of Romans and other places. That's the bad news. Here's the good news. But God, yet God, is in, are you ready, the reversal business. No matter what you've done, he can reverse that. Listen, all hope was lost. He pulls his approval, his signet ring from this evil king. And here we have now at the exile and they're returning. And here's grandson now who's not a king, but he's a, uh, not a very good governor of this little backside place. And it's returned. God reverses things and he can do that in our lives. Whatever you're going through today, God can reverse that in your life. Do you believe? Do you trust? That is, the, the part of this scripture I want you to get is believe and trust. How can we do that? Remember, God chooses. Are we willing to trust? Are we willing to believe? Are we willing to be his servant? To be faithful and obedient. I want to close in this way. 
going to take a few minutes, but I want to talk about trust. But more than trust, I want to talk about deep trust. I think this is what uh, is being talked about here, and what I'm talking about is deep trust. You all had trust today. Some of you showed up colorful, but you trusted that everyone would show up wearing clothes, amen? (laughs) Right? You went out to your car, unless you have a real clunker that we need to pray over or something, you just trusted that you're going to turn the key or push the button, right? Some of you even have a little clicker you can do. Oh, you didn't know that? Yeah, they make those things now. Where it warm up your seat and everything. But we trust that what? It's going to happen. Hmm. We trusted today that when we walked in and sat down, look at all you. All you are trusting in that chair right now. Maybe you're like me. You've got a COVID whatever number. What you gained during the pandemic. But yet that chair supports you. You just plopped right down in it. You trust. What I'm talking about here, though, is deep trust, okay? And there's a few things I want you to think about. Trusting deeply, it's not the same as being unaffected by the difficulties of life. I want you to get that before we talk about trust and belief. It's not saying we're not unaffected. Tragedy happens, right? Health happens, right? My brother just died from COVID a few months ago. Things happen to us. People even do bad things to us, right? So it's not that we're unaffected by it. It's not what I'm talking about. Yes, the difficulties of life are hard, but trusting deeply is is more than that. It's not just saying we're in denial and we don't experience that. You see, Zerubbabel would need to look past the slow progress on the temple. He would need to fixate on God's trustworthiness. And I think the same is true for us. If we want to deeply trust the Lord, we must fixate. I know that doesn't sound like a good word, but we've got to fixate on the fact that the one who is trustworthy, the only one in the universe, is God our creator, our redeemer. Another thing about deep trust is it takes time. We are of the microwave generation, right? Don't look at me crazy. I didn't have a kitchen for a long time in my house. Guess what I went and bought right away? It wasn't a stove. It wasn't an oven. It wasn't, well, we had a little fridge kind of. It wasn't, it was a little, have you seen those little $69 ones? You can get it, Walmart or Target. I went and bought one. Why? Because I want it now, instantly. But deep trust takes time. It is cultivated. How is it cultivated? It's cultivated as you and me affirm theological truths such as the goodness of God, the salvation of God, The redemption, the atonement, all these weird words, propitiation, all these kind of words we can get into. The fact that God is holy, his love, his mercy, grace, we could go on and on. He's the prince of peace. He's the Lord of hosts. He's all these things. It takes time to cultivate deep trust in him. We must work at that. We must work at that. To be called my servant, we must work at that. Sure, there's occasional doubt. We all experience it. But here's what we have to do. Let me help you. We learn to see our story as part of the bigger redemptive story. Amen? Someone here in Albuquerque today, they may be frustrated. They may be in a little church and eight people come. No one is saved. They should not be discouraged because 
that story is part of the larger redemptive story. God is saving people today all around the planet. Do you believe that? Our missionaries tell us it's so. It's already happened, and the day has already happened some places. So it was a good Sunday in some places already. And God is working in lives, and God is putting back together marriages, and God is restoring relationships. All these things are happening. It's part of the larger redemption story. So to have deep trust, we have to see this. Instead of a pity party, we work. And God, cult, as, as he teaches us more and more about him, he cultivates that with us. Another thing about deep trust, and this is scary to say, but personal experiences can nurture deep trust. Hold on, let me explain that. Because some people, all they talk about is what? Experience, experience, experience. What I mean by that is more of an experiencing God mentality, if some of you have done that study. You see, the Christian, to help with deep trust, we can look back and we can see in our lives. Can you see God in your life as you look back? You may not have seen him at that moment, but when you look back, you see it. You see God's provision. You see God's peace, God's courage, God's joy, God's love, God's comfort. Even in difficult circumstances, sometimes it, we can't see it at the moment, but we look back, and this helps with deep trust. We see God was there. We see those spiritual markers, God working in our life. And then lastly, I want you to think about this. Trust grows out of obedient risk. There's risk involved. Now, I, I heard they're going to play a game today. People have been asking me. In fact, some people told me today when I came in, Bengals. I said, okay, all right. I don't have a dog in a fight, so I'm trying to figure out what, but there's going to be a game that's going to be played, and some people are going to risk certain things to play this game, right? Marty used to play. His knees can tell you that. It's a risk, Right? You've heard of CTE and concussions and different things today. So there's a risk that going on. But I want to tell you, in deep trust, there's got to be obedient risk. So in the, in the sporting world, you got to if they give you the ball, you've got to trust that that big guy is going to try to block that guy or you're going to get creamed. How about in the military, in battle? Chain of command, obedience. Why? You've got to trust the guy next to you is not going to turn and run, but support you as you support him. I know these are hard images, but we need to think about that. Deep trust in God, we have to risk some things. We have to risk ridicule, being shunned by our unbelieving family, giving up something of comfort. We have to risk and be obedient. And I want to tell you this. I, I was praying a prayer about uh, God calling people out to missions. And you know, God didn't understand my prayer. I didn't mean from our staff. I, I meant from the congregation, right? So God, hear me. <laughs> I am praying that God will nudge some of you. And here, here's what I want you to think about. Obedient risk. I believe in our congregation, that in our lives at certain times, that God may nudge us to make a major decision. I don't know what it is for you, but if God is nudging you, 
have obedient risks, no matter what it is. You see, God moves in our spirit. God requires from us to step towards an uncertain future. Did you know that? That's God's requirement. I chose you. I will take care of you. I will provide for you. I go before you. I'm behind you. I'm on the side. And yes, the the future looks uncertain, especially if you do what I'm asking you to do. Trust me. Zerubbabel, trust me. There's going to be a whole lot of shaking going on. Things are going to happen. And we know the story, I mentioned it a few weeks ago, how not only did God do all that, but he took the pagans' treasury and money and paid for the rebuilding of the temple from their taxes, even the Samaritans' taxes. What about you? Today, there are some of you here today in this room, listening online, and God is nudging you towards the most important major decision you will ever make. For by grace are you saved through faith. And that not of yourselves. No, it's a gift of God. Not of works, stuff that we would do so we can brag about it. But it's of the Lord. And he's nudging some of you to take that step by faith. He's giving you the faith to do it. That you can trust him And you can repent and run to him and say, here's my life, forgive me. Please, Lord, forgive me. Save me. Be the Lord, the boss, the controller of my life. God is nudging you. For some of you, God's been asking, you're a Christian, God's been asking you about something for years. He's still nudging. Some of you say he's jabbing me pretty good. Obedient risk. Can you move from trusting God to trusting deeply in the Lord? Listen to these verses, some of my favorite verses in the Bible. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him, and He will make your paths straight. That uncertain future will be certain. And the psalmist says in Psalm 53, 6, When I am afraid, I love this, when I'm afraid, I will put my trust in God. Don't be scared. Trust God. So let us wrap up with our five key words from Haggai. And you're going to see these all around the church all year for the rest of 2022. And see if you remember these from these five sermons. Number one is priority. You might want to jot this down. Priority number one is this. God's glory and work or service in his kingdom is priority number one. To see God, to move in our lives, in our church, to do amazing things, restoration, all kinds of things. God's glory and serving him has got to be priority number, number one. Number two, you remember we preach on obedience. And here's the phrase, God is with those who obediently commit to do his work for his glory. You see how those two go together? Number three, do you remember it? Motivation. Be motivated. For what? To uphold God's priorities in work, which bring him glory. Number four, holiness. Boy, that was last week. Aren't you glad we got that sermon done last week? Whew. 
Holiness is not religious living or acts, as good as they may be. A clean start with God comes from within. It is inside out. It is holiness. And then today, believe. We must trust. We must believe God. We, trust in Him must be the priority. Now, as we wrap up this book, I want you to look at the very last phrase. Very appropriately, I think, the last words in Haggai are, Lord of hosts. God is all-powerful. That's the military, that's the mighty act name of God. God is powerful. He is capable to lead us in 2022 to put first things first, these things. He is the Lord of hosts. Let's pray. And God, today I would just ask people to think about what it is for them today. God, what are you doing in our lives today? Is it for salvation? Is it beginning that relationship with you? For some Christians here today, God, I believe that there's a big decision that they need to make. God, for some, it is a relationship. Lord, for others, it's taking that step of being a consistent witness for you and sharing our testimony and the good news, the gospel. Lord, whatever it is, would you work in our lives and would we follow you? Would we trust deeply, Lord, please help us? Would we take obedient risk? Lord, I thank you for these ancient words. You've transformed my life with them in just these weeks. God, I pray that we would be transformed. We thank you for how you're working. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. I'm going to stand right down here. We're going to have some friends right here. If you want to pray or respond to any of those things, we would ask that you do that. Would you stand with us during this response time? Would you focus in on the Lord, not worrying about anything else? but just what he is saying to you. And God, customize your word for each one of us. Let's give a few minutes to him right now. Come, if you need prayer, if you've got questions, if you want to be saved, come on, whatever it is. Amen. Someone else? Can I tell you the glory of following God when he's been nudging you to go ahead and step through whatever it is, what glory that is. You're not getting poked in the back anymore. You're running with the Lord, whatever that is. Would you give it to him today? As we sang this morning, Victory in Jesus, do you have that in your life? God can give you that. We sang, God so loved the world. Is that true of your life? Have you believed in Him?
Lord, I just want to thank you today for allowing me to go through life with brothers and sisters, of being part of the family of God. Thank you for saving me. Thank you for placing me here in, with this family. God, may we not take each other for granted, but may we live the abundant life with each other as you lead. May we follow when you nudge us, when you lead us. May we proclaim that there is victory in the shed blood of Jesus Christ. May we proclaim that God loved each of us so much he sent Jesus to die for our sin. Thank you, God, for today and the opportunity to come together. God, I continue to pray for those who are wrestling with decisions. Remind them, remind me today that you choose us. We're grateful. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.